I got to tell you, it was a little bit of an adventure uh, getting here this morning. Uh, my eight-year-old daughter, Kate, came with me. Uh, we were driving down 146th Street. We had just passed Grace Church when there were a couple of cars stopped in the road, and we quickly realized that there was this little dog, uh, just about the size of a puppy, that was out in the middle of the road, kind of sprinting back and forth, and this elderly man, uh, obviously the owner of the dog, kind of standing off to the side wondering, how in the world am I going to get my dog back? And uh, so several people started getting out of their vehicles, and man, this, this dog was quick. And uh, so we pulled over to the side, and I got out and told Kate to stay in the car. And so, you know, it's one of those where you're kind of jumping around, and again, the dog won't leave the street. And so by this time, cars on 146 are starting to stop. Well, I realized, well, maybe Kate could help in this, you know? I mean, maybe the dog would be more likely to come to my daughter. And so she gets out of the car, and wouldn't you know it, a couple of times the dog comes close to her and then just takes off sprinting. We were out in the street for about 10 minutes, and the police came and happened to be coming by and stopped, stopped traffic, and wouldn't you know it, before long, this dog just takes off down 146th Street as fast as it can away from us. Again, cars are coming in both directions, and so... Well, I started chasing it, and uh, I'm sprinting down the curb as two police officers are running behind, and what I'm trying to do is get out in front of this dog, you know, as the police officer coming behind so we can kind of sandwich him in, and so I'm finally able to get out in front, which diverts the dog to start turning around, moving back in the other direction. My daughter, Kate, is running down the bike path along 146th Street, again, while all these people are watching, and wouldn't you know it, uh, Kate is down in the grass and all of a sudden the dog makes a dart for her and gets within a few feet and I yell, Kate, dive for the dog. And she dives and grabs a hold of it and uh, it was so fun as the police officer came walking over huffing and puffing and said, well, thank you, young lady. And uh, so my daughter was the hero this morning and uh, that was our little adventure uh, in getting over to the Carmel campus today. So, uh, but again, so good to be with you. If I've never had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you. I'll be up front after the service. Today, love to tell you a little bit more about Genesis. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you want to use one of the Bibles uh, we've provided here in the room, it's page 146. Uh, or if you use something like the YouVersion app on your phone, uh, feel free to go there with us. Again, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34. I don't know how many of you saw the story uh, this past week about the 19-year-old from Oklahoma who got pulled over, forget this, after hitting 208 miles per hour on a radar gun. All right, true story. It was all over uh, national news. He, he first tripped the radar gun doing 86, uh, and when a police officer responded, he ran. Uh, he took off uh, in his heavily modified 2011 Ford Mustang. Uh, he led police on a chase where he was clocked at 176 and eventually at 208 miles per hour. And get this, he eventually gave up after stopping at a red light. Now, I just want to applaud his citizenship, really, when you think about it, that even at those high rates of speed, that he was still willing to stop uh, for that red light, but 208 mile per hour, all right? Can you believe it? I mean, I need some wind and a downhill grade to get my Toyota Corolla up to about 80, all right? Not that I ever have to any of the police officers in the room. It's just, you know, that's what I've been told, that it, it can get up that high, but... 
Uh, I can't imagine what that conversation was like for that young man and when that police officer finally got to the car and then probably his conversation with his parents as well. Uh, There'll certainly be some consequences for his actions and I'm guessing he's going to need a ride to school or to work uh, for a little while, but uh, that's a tough lesson to learn, isn't it? Uh, especially if you're young, you know, uh, kind of learning some lessons of life. I mean, think about all the times we learn that there are consequences for our actions. I mean, maybe your parents have told you over and over again, uh, there are consequences for every action, for every step you've been taking. And so uh, as we've been talking these last few weeks about things like pain and suffering, I think we all realize that sometimes our hardships are the results of our own past choices uh, and decisions. And maybe some of you are living in that today and It might take, it might require some humility of you to admit that, but you know that, hey, part of the reason why I'm in this mess right now is some of the previous decisions uh, that I made, but that's not always the case. Uh, Sometimes we find ourselves in difficult situations because of the actions of others. I mean, maybe you've got a a close friend who hurt you uh, and hurt you deeply, Uh, or maybe a a dad walked out uh, on your family, or mom walked out, or uh, maybe you had a business partner, and well, without you knowing, they just sort of made other plans, but... But then there are the times where there are no explanations, Uh, no explanation at all. There are no answers to the questions or to the troubles. Uh, Whatever it is that you're going through today, all right, whatever it is that for you, no matter how you got there, suffering's hard, isn't it? Uh, Life can be very difficult, can be very challenging, and it, it doesn't matter whether you call yourself a Christian or not. I mean, we all go through difficult times. Even Jesus Christ said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so this series for us is all about how you respond when you go through these difficult times. And so that's why we've named this series, How to Get Through uh, What You're Going Through. And in this series, we've been discussing how you navigate those challenging seasons of life, uh, those times in life where you feel lost or you feel stuck. And uh, we've been talking about, uh, Steve has introduced these, these uh, three stages of faith uh, that some have described, three stages of faith that most everyone goes through on their spiritual journey. And we've been using this illustration uh, to kind of help with this. Uh, over in the bottom far left-hand corner, you see the pyramids there. As we've been looking at this from the perspective of the Israelites, uh, those pyramids kind of uh, represent the starting point of a journey, all right? That was their time in Egypt, in slavery, Uh, leading them through the desert, but ultimately in the top right, and if you can't make that out, to the land of milk and honey or the land of 2% milk uh, and honey, if you would. That's that's the goal, all right? And uh, But if you think about this in your own life, I mean, it applies really for any goal that you set. I mean, think about some of the the goals that you set, maybe when it comes to something like exercise or something that you're hoping uh, to achieve. We all have these starting points, all right, we all have these goals in mind. We, we vision where we'd like to ultimately arrive, but the reality is that you've got to do the hard work. All right, there, there's a time in the desert. There's time in the wilderness, all right? There's that time of perseverance that really is going to have a big factor into whether or not you ultimately achieve what you hope uh, to achieve. And so uh, we've been using this map, if you would, to talk about these three stages of faith. Again, the most everyone goes through at some point uh, in their spiritual journey. And so we've let the bottom left uh, represent what we'll call confident faith. 
And uh, if we're talking about confident faith, this really is just kind of a starting place. Uh, this is when, often when people first find their way back to God. And uh, maybe for some of you, you remember what that's like. Or maybe you're in that kind of season right now where all of this is brand new to you and it's exciting. And, and you've got some hope in your life for the first time ever. You're seeing some things and understanding some things that maybe you've never been able to understand before. And so it's fresh and it's exciting. It can last a really long time. There's a third stage all right, to our faith, and that's a stage that we'll call living faith. And uh, living faith is just sort of that strong, unshakable faith that you see in people, all right? It's the type of faith you might see in someone else, and we admire it. We'd say, you know what? I want that kind of faith. Uh, Chances are there's some people here today with this living sort of faith, all right? You look at them again, you think, you know, what's that take? And it's not that their life is perfect, all right? But their faith isn't so much dependent on their circumstances. It it, it, it perseveres, all right? It stands strong. But there's this middle stage of faith, and it's a stage that we call challenge faith. And uh, most everyone that ever grows to this stage of living faith, well, they got to go through this season of challenged faith first. I mean, you know, chances are you meet some of those people that really demonstrate this sort of faith. You ask them their story. Well, their story, well, oftentimes includes talking about some pretty challenging seasons of questions and of doubts and of hurt and pain and struggling and pushing through and and trusting the Lord and learning what hope is really like and what faith uh, really looks like. And, uh, you know, in in this season, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to wonder if, you know, does God really care? Is he really listening? Will he ever really answer my prayers? And so, uh, this series really is all about this uh, season of challenged faith, this time in the desert when we're in the middle of it all. And so the question becomes, how do we respond? All right, how do I respond in this time of pain and suffering? And what we want to see is that our response in this season has a lot to do with how we come out on the other side. All right, and so Deuteronomy chapter 34, uh, today, again, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the story of the Israelites, uh, starting with their time as slaves in Egypt. Uh, God chose Moses, a man by the name of Moses, to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land. But as we've seen uh, over the last couple of weeks, their journey to the promised land is going to require significant time wandering around in the desert first. And unfortunately for the Israelites, uh, the desert isn't the place they expected to find themselves. This isn't the rescue uh, they had in mind. And so it challenged them and they complained and they questioned God and they began to doubt him. And it's easy to do, isn't it? I mean, isn't it easy to do when you go through some tough times or you encounter some news that, well, no one would ever want to receive, no one would want to experience. And and so when you pray and when God's not responding or when you keep praying and he's not answering your prayers, when you encounter loss or you go through something like crisis or tragedy, it shakes you, right? It puts your faith to the test. Well, that's what's happening to the Israelites. They're struggling in the desert. But what I want us to see today is this, that God can use the desert, all right? That the desert can become fertile ground. I mean, the Israelites might not be able to see it in this story, but we can. We have the perspective where we can, that God can bring good things from the desert. And I, I hope, what I'm hoping and praying is that that will encourage you today. That no matter what you're going through in your life right now, uh, God can produce really good things through this time of pain and suffering in your life. Because he's always faithful. Our God is always faithful. 
in the good and the bad, and even when life isn't going the way that we'd like it to. And so even if you're going through a difficult time today, I want you to be encouraged and know that he's not going to waste this time or this season with you. And so we want to look at a few different passages. Uh, Deuteronomy 34 to start. I want to tell you right up front that we're sort of skipping to the end of the story uh, for just a moment. All right, again, Moses has been leading the Israelites on this journey through the desert, through the wilderness that's lasted about 40 years. Uh, These people are finally ready to take their steps into the promised land. It's a few steps away, and look at what happens. Uh, History records Deuteronomy chapter 34, starting in verse 1. It says, then Moses climbed mountain Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the land. All right, we're talking about the promised land here, all right, the land of milk and honey. All right, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms. That sounds good, right? All right, as far as Zoar. All right, and so here's the land before them. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to him, said to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. Stop there for just a second. Imagine what this is like for Moses. Again, he's seeing all of this firsthand. All right, he's got this perfect view. After all of these years of struggle and leading through the wilderness, they finally make it. And so I can imagine him taking this deep breath as he looks out across the land. Let's pick it up there again, verse four. God said, I have let you see it with your eyes, Moses but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. Now, what? Like what kind of jacked up story is this? And here's this man, this faithful man, Moses. He came all of this way. He's put up with so much and he doesn't get to enter into the promised land and he dies. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't blame you for disliking this part of the story, all right? It doesn't seem fair. It's not fair to Moses. He's, well, he's been through so much. He's put up with, with so much. But do you know what? In the same way that it happened here for Moses, uh, we don't like it when things don't work out the way that we want them to either, do we? I mean, think about it. Uh, we've, we've been talking about the desert these last few weeks, even asking you to think about what's your desert? Uh, what's your story? What's your struggle? What's your pain? What, what is it for you today? Uh, what's that thing in your life that, that's not going as planned? What's that one thing that you never wanted, that you never wish on anyone else? What's your desert? Uh, for some of you today, it might be a relationship issue. Uh, maybe your marriage. Maybe your marriage is the desert. Uh, or maybe it's the lack of, of a relationship right now. Maybe it's a medical issue. And it doesn't even have to be serious or life-threatening, but maybe it's something you've learned and discovered that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. Maybe it's a financial issue or struggle. The the financial struggles just won't seem to go away. Maybe for some of you, it's the memories of someone who hurt you. And because of it, it's the resentment or the unwillingness to forgive. The desert's a tough place, isn't it? It's a tough place of struggle and pain. It's tough to make sense of it. Do this now, if you would, turn back in your Bible to Numbers chapter 13, uh, or page 101 on those uh, Bibles here in the room. I want to back up in the story with you for just a few minutes and let you see how Moses arrived at this place. Uh, This wasn't the first time that Moses and the people stood on the brink of the promised land. Uh, Because 40 years earlier, they found themselves in the very same position. Uh, They'd been on the desert road for some significant time, and they were poised to enter this promised land from God, all right, once and for all. 
And so Numbers chapter 13, uh, verse 1, let's, uh, let's just kind of explore what's happened here in the past. It says, the Lord said to Moses, uh, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, another way of describing the promised land, which I am giving to the Israelites. Uh, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so Moses, he chose 12 men, uh, 12 spies. He sent them into this land God was about to give them. And these 12 men went out and for 40 days explored the land and returned to the camp, to the people with some good Good news, all right, but some bad news as well. Uh, Verse 27 says, says this, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, just as the Lord said. Here's its fruit, all right, and that's good news for the people, right? I mean, if they've been spending lots of time in the desert, a piece of fruit is a welcome sight, all right? It's a sign of growth. It's a sign of prosperity. It's a great sign, and so Moses was pretty excited too, but then came the bad news. Verse 28 says, but the people, all right, this was the message they received. The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Skip over uh, to verse 31. They said, but the men who had gone up with him said, we, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those who are living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. I want you to notice what's happening here. They've, they've come all this way. God's provided so much. And in one moment and with one report, any faith, any trust they had in God shatters, and now the people start planning their return to Egypt. They'd rather go back to slavery, all right? Is slavery in Egypt even the place that God had delivered them from? And I don't know about you, but I think we can be like that. I know I can be like that. I mean, think about it. Think about how often the giants in our lives cause us to run, cause us to fall apart. I mean, just one bad meeting, one bad email, uh, one bad phone call, one, one bad report, one bad week, and our faith, it can so quickly crumble. And things like fear and anxiety and, uh, so quickly uh, consume us, anger. I mean, think about in those moments how often we're tempted to run to other things. We'll, we're tempted to run back to an unhealthy relationship. Or we'll uh, run towards cynicism. Or we'll run towards even something like a substance to hide the pain. We, we go looking for relief in something. We're real, willing to turn to anything other than God. It's kind of like what we talked about last week. It's the God plus something. All right, That God's not enough and so we turn to something else. We latch on to these other things. That's what's happening here. Look at what happened next. Numbers 14, uh, verse 6. If you skip over a chapter it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who would explore the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. They say, Only, do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Do you see some living faith in these men? There were two, two of the 12 spies that said, hey, no, the Lord is good. And man, we've gone through these times of challenge faith and certainly there are gonna be some difficult roads ahead, but the Lord promised And the Lord is always good to his promises. And so they say, don't be afraid. The Lord is with us. The Lord is faithful. Again, at least a couple of them had learned some things in the desert. But unfortunately, not everyone's buying their courage. Uh, 
And so the people break God's heart by refusing to trust him and refusing to take the land. Look at verse 11. Here's the result. The Lord said to Moses, he said to the leader, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed for them? Hey, get this and know this. God forgives. All right, he is a forgiving, merciful God. But as a consequence for the sin of these people, the Israelites will be forced now to wander in the desert for 40 years. And don't overlook that because that's easy to read and glance over. But man, I'm 41 years old. Just trying to imagine 40 years of wandering around in the desert. That's a really long time. And symbolically, and for these people, it's one year for each of the days that they explored the promised land. And well, if you don't know the story, during those 40 years, all right, every grown adult, except for two courageous spies, Joshua and Caleb, will pass away. Only the children of these people will live to see the promised land. And it seems a little unfair that Moses will miss it. I mean, he'll lead the people for the next 40 years, as we saw a few moments ago. He'll get to the prize. He gets to see it with his own eyes. But because of his own previous actions, he won't enter the promised land either. He's not going to be able to experience this gift from God. And I got to thinking that maybe, maybe one of the reasons why this story has bothered me in the past or maybe even might bother some of you today is because it forces us to face a really uncomfortable question. And that question is this, what if I never get what I want? I mean, what if, what if at least from my perspective, God never pulls through? What, what, if, what if my prayer is never answered? What if, what if going through all of this, what if going through the desert means that, well, my pain never goes away? And it leads to an important question that we haven't really dealt with uh, in this series, and it's the question that, well, it's a tough one, and that is that why do we suffer? Why do we have to suffer? It's, I mean, you know, even if this is your first time today, that's one of the hardest things, it's one of the hardest questions about pain. And I mean, for Moses, at least from what we can see, for Moses and these people, it's their sin and their disbelief, all right, that's to blame, but what about for us? I mean, if you think about it again, as I mentioned from the beginning, you know, sometimes our pain is a result of our own decisions, Uh, Sometimes our pain is the result of decisions of others, those around us, but sometimes there's no explanation. Life happens, and there's no great explanation. But whatever the case, who doesn't want to know why? Why pain? Why does life have to be so hard? But the reality is that there's not always a good question or a great answer, excuse me, to the question of pain. And that's why we're not trying to deal with the why question in this series, but rather the how question, how to go through it. And so for the question uh, in front of us today, again, no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter your desert, no matter your suffering, is how. How will you respond? How should we respond to the pain and suffering? I had a really cool opportunity uh, in 2008 to lead a mission trip uh, to Poland uh, with a group of college students, and uh, we were there to serve for a week, and for a couple of those days, uh, we took a break from our work to visit Auschwitz. 
And uh, most of you have probably heard of Auschwitz before. Auschwitz was a uh, concentration camp uh, in World War II, a Nazi concentration camp. Estimates are that over a million people uh, died at Auschwitz. And um, I've always been fascinated by the stories of Holocaust survivors. My wife thinks I'm weird, all right? She wants nothing uh, to do with those stories. But for me, uh, I've always enjoyed reading those survival stories and what's learned from them. And one of those stories is from a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl. Uh, you maybe heard of him before. Uh, Nazi soldiers arrested Victor, Victor Frankl, his wife, and his mother and father in October of 1944. Uh, all four were sentenced to Auschwitz. Uh, Frankl survived Auschwitz uh, and later wrote uh, one work entitled Man's Search for Meaning, uh, where he chronicled his experience at Auschwitz. And in his work, he describes the anticipation of forced labor and starvation and brutal beatings and the constant fear of the gas chambers. Uh, his mother and father both died at Auschwitz. His wife was sent to another concentration camp where she later died, but Frankel survived and ended up living to 1997. And, uh, you know, the suffering he endured there is unthinkable. And uh, to this day, the war is one of those events that uh, there's no great answer for why it happened. And I'm sure for anyone that survived it, uh, anyone that lived through a prison camp experience like this, that they would never want to go back. Uh, but Frankel uh, often wrote many of the amazing things that he learned and discovered uh, in his time at Auschwitz. Things like this. He wrote, you know, we who lived uh, in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. Uh, they may have been a few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms and that is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he sums up his experience like this, and this is what I want you to see. He writes, suffering in and of itself is meaningless. He says, we give our suffering meaning by the way in which we respond to it. Forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. You cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you will feel and do about what happens to you. He says we give our suffering meaning by the way we respond to it. And man, that'll mess with you. And again, I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know what it is that you're going through or your desert for some of you, maybe you're suffering physically or someone you love is. Maybe, again, it's the challenge of a tough relationship. Maybe, maybe some of you are just kind of living with the sting of some bad uh, decisions. Or, or maybe you're overwhelmed by loneliness today, especially with the thought of the holidays coming. But as you think about that one thing that's causing you pain and causing you so much grief, I don't want to make an attempt at offering an answer to the why question but what I do want to do today is offer you a couple of thoughts to the how question. And that is, how do you respond to the suffering? If you've got a notes page with you today or if you're following along the app, I want you to write a couple of things down that you can be thinking about this week. But my first challenge to you is this. And one thing that I think we can take away from this is this one. Number one is to let suffering transform you. Uh, let suffering transform you in your life. It's like Frick, uh, Frankl said, he says, we, we can give our suffering meaning by the way that we respond to it. Again, there may no, be no answer uh, this side of heaven to the why question of, of your suffering. 
But what I can tell you is this, that you can learn from it, right? You can be transformed through your suffering. Um, I brought up here with me today, I know it might be difficult for some of you to see, but uh, this small vase or vase, if you prefer. Uh, I remember the weekend I took this home from college and showed it to my dad and said, I made this. And my dad's an appreci- is appreciative of the arts and all, but he looked at me and said, how much money am I paying for you to go to college right now? And uh, you made this small vase. You see, uh, when I was a junior at Anderson University, I took glass blowing. Uh, it was one of the electives that they offered at the time, and uh, I thought it was pretty fascinating uh, to have an experience uh, like this. If you uh, have ever done any glass blowing before, you probably know a lot more about it than I do, but uh, it really is the manipulation of of heat, uh, you know, and really trying to, uh, you know, stay on top of even the cooling of glass, you know, ultimately for a result that looks uh, something like this. And so I can remember those days of the rod and uh, stepping on a pedal to the furnace and this furnace door would open and you dip your rod in there to get some of the hot glass and it was 2,000 degrees on the inside and so it kind of singed the hairs on your palms every time you would do it. Uh, But it's a back and forth process of working the hot glass, but because it cools so quickly, you've got to rush over to what you see here, which is the glory hole. And the glory hole is at about 1,500 degrees. And so, again, it's this ongoing process of heating the glass back up, working it, taking it out, taking it back over to the heat again, making sure it's not cooling too quickly. You'll finally take your product and put it in a layer. And a layer has this process of cooling the glass over a period of hours and even days. Again, it's the the manipulation of the heat, uh, the manipulation of the, the cooling process in order to achieve this desired result. You know, in the same way, uh, suffering has the great potential to change you uh, and to shape you and, and for the good. And that's what God was doing with these, uh, these men and women uh, in the desert, these Israelites. I mean, all the Israelites knew, all right, prior to this was slavery in Egypt. And so it was going to take God 40 years to transform them. And he's going to use the desert to transform them from these people of slavery into the people of God. And in the same way that he was producing new things in them and transforming them, he can do the same for us as well. He can take something like pride in your life and through a period of suffering, transform that into humility. He can take something like self-centeredness and transform it into compassion. He can take something like resentment and transform it into a willingness to forgive. He can take fear and turn it into courage. He can take our doubts and questions and give us faith and hope. There is so much to learn in the desert. It's fertile ground for transformation And even Jesus in his life and his time here on the earth, he learned from his suffering. Uh, The writer of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says this, Son though he was, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience. He learned dependence through his suffering. And in the same way Jesus did, you and I can learn and be transformed by our suffering too. And so that means for you today that even in this venture right now through the desert, I hope you'll consider the possibilities that God might want to use this time in your life to do something new, to produce something new in you. And so I want to challenge you to do just that, to even go as far to ask God what it is. Ask God to teach you something. Uh, maybe, maybe that's part of a prayer that you pray to him today. Maybe that's part of a prayer that you pray to him this week. Father, what do you want me to learn? Father, make me receptive to what you want to teach me. You see, if we allow God to transform us through 
these seasons of challenged faith, well, we've got the greater potential to come out on the other side with a living faith, a living faith that will grow in us, a faith that isn't contingent on our circumstances. And so we can choose to let suffering transform us. And then the second thing is this, let suffering draw you closer to the Lord. Uh, You know, did Moses miss out on something? You know, he's going to get to the promised land, but he's not going to lead the people into it. So does he die a failure? You know, his, is his story a, a lost one? Is it, is it a tragic story of failure? I want to show you once more in Deuteronomy 34, a few verses later, uh, some interesting words that are offered here for how Moses is remembered. I want you to see how he's memorialized after his death. Deuteronomy 34, uh, starting over in verse 10, it says, Since then... No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Here's the question I want to ask you before we close today. Did Moses get the short end of it all? Keep this in mind, and I know this can be a tough reality check for us but we deserve nothing. The reality is we, we don't deserve anything. I mean, what we really deserve is death. The beautiful reminder for us today is that everything we have has been given to us by the grace of God. And so to the question, did Moses miss out? Not at all. In fact, Moses received a greater reward. Notice those words, Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. And isn't that really the goal for each of us? Or shouldn't that be the goal for each of us? To be able to see and know the Lord face to face. And that's what we should want more than anything else. That's what the Lord is after with you and wants for you. A deep and intimate relationship with him is what matters most. And, and if you ever get tired of hearing us talk about the importance of your relationship with the Lord, maybe wondering, hey, when do we move on, all right? Because you, you keep saying this over and over again. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more important than your relationship with the Lord. And so here's what, here's what we want for you, all right? Here's what we've been praying for you. Here's what I want for my life, for my kids and for my family. I want intimacy with the Father, your relationship through Jesus to be the thing you desire the most. It's what God wants for you. It's why he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And so to be willing to answer the question, you know, what, what if we allowed our suffering to draw us closer to him? What if you allowed this time in your life right now, no matter how difficult it may be, to draw you closer and closer to the Lord? And there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than that. And And so Moses didn't miss out on the promised land. In all actuality, he received an even greater promised land. Intimacy with the Father on earth and ultimately eternity with the Father in heaven. Here's the thing for us today. There may be no good question or answer to the question of why. But we have the opportunity to choose the how. And I pray for you today that your how would be a desire to know the Lord as Moses knew the Lord, as Jesus knew the Lord, face to face, trusting him, sold out to him, fully dependent on him.
for all things. Will you bow your head with me for just a moment? You know, just take a moment if we can and just, if you're willing, if your heart's ready and or even if you have to allow your actions to kind of lead your heart this morning, uh, maybe just even pray that prayer right now. Lord, what do you want me to learn in my suffering? It's okay to pray to God to take it away. I've got things in my life that I've been praying for the Lord to take away, questions that I've been asking him to answer. But what would it mean to pray, Lord, what do you want me to learn in my suffering? And ask him to teach you and to transform you. And then to be able to pray, Lord, no matter what, draw me closer to you. What would it mean for you today to pray, Lord, I want to know you face to face, just as Moses did, just as Jesus did, to know you even greater ways. For some of you, that might mean encountering Jesus for the first time. It might mean reaching him out today. God, God sent Jesus for you. And maybe part of why he has you here today is to respond to that love and maybe open up your heart and mind to some things that you've never been willing to consider before. You can pray today and invite him in and ask for his help. And he will respond. We'd love to share with you and talk with you even more afterwards about how he can respond and what he'd like to do in your life and the great gift that we have in Jesus. And uh, Father, we won't pretend to always understand. It certainly doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that when we walk out of these doors in a few minutes that we won't still encounter some of the same challenges and grief and pain that we came in with. But Lord, would you change our hearts today and maybe even our perspective to see that you are a faithful God that you are close to us and that you will come close to us, the brokenhearted. Transform us in this time of suffering. Draw us closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we close uh, here this morning, the band is going to sing a song about what it means to praise God no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what happens. And as they sing and as they... just kind of give you the opportunity to reflect on this, maybe to reflect on your own faith. Um, I hope that maybe part of what God will do in you right now is just to build that determination to praise Him uh, no matter what you're going through.